All right, brothers and sisters, uh, you know, Mark, Marcus and Beth have just described for us one of life's great challenges. And we all face it in different ways. This great challenge of a decision to act on a sense of call and timing. How do you do that? Uh, we might wish life were one long, straight stretch of Autobahn. I just came back from Germany on Friday. And uh, boy, that's fun to drive. Okay. <laughs> uh, we may think life is like that. Long, straight stretch of Autobahn. And life as a highway might get your toes tapping, right? Yeah. But doesn't it feel more like off-roading, this life thing? Uh, just when you think you're clear to cruise, you hit a curve, pothole, washout, you have to adjust and discern, and you have to act. When, and we've been thinking about time in this season of Advent. We've talked about living the everyday TikTok as disciples of Jesus. We've considered God's kairos, those wake-up call moments in our lives. Last week, Jeff Michaud did a great job welcoming us into the waiting room. What do you do when God invites an uncomfortable season of waiting? And today we come to the opposite of waiting, the time to act. A Peace and Reconciliation Network colleague of mine, that's why I was in Germany for these meetings of this global network that I'm a part of. Uh, so rec a colleague of mine is from Moldova, the poorest country in Europe. Uh, Volodia pastors a church that seeks to address the country's massive human trafficking problem. Volodia notes that 300,000 people in Moldova have been trafficked. That's 10% of the population. Imagine, 10%. Many are trafficked into the sex trade, which means, by way of a hard word, by the way, means that the porn available to this generation beyond the chain it is on your soul empowers this evil modern-day enslavement of those made in the image of God. Some young are even trafficked for their organs with details so horrible you probably would not believe they were true if I told you. Now, Volodia became a follower of Jesus. His repentance, as he calls it, in, at 22 and in the late 1990s, he studied in Prague. There he, met a there he met a few Christians who were ministering among the prostitution community. Uh, uh, part of the city there, and he was shocked to learn that there were some clubs that were designated according to country, and lo and behold, there was one known for its Moldovan community. Their story shook, and they grabbed his attention. It was his Kairos moment, and after returning home, he received a call from the local Moldovan authorities. They were looking for his wife, who was a psychologist. Because it turned out there were 24 girls in a dormitory in the city who had been rescued from trafficking and needed a psychologist. The government didn't know what to do with them. Could they help? And so what do you do when Kairos meets you at the intersection of your gifts, your heartbreak, your opportunity, and your responsibility? You have to discern. Is it time to act? And they did. Vlodia and Yulia stepped into the moment with no idea of what they were doing. 
And now 20 plus years later, they work proactively in schools and with the government to get ahead of this issue that shackles a nation to injustice and shame and sorrow and unrighteousness. Another peace and reconciliation colleague of mine, Cheryl Hobbs in Zimbabwe, tells of being a nurse of, in Somalia a number of years ago. She was chatting with an aid worker on a street corner when in her peripheral she noticed a young man approaching with a Kalashnikov. Within seconds, the man that she was talking to was dropped by a spray of bullets, and then she was flat on the ground as the chaos raged. Hours later, this young man was caught, and the city elders declared that in accordance with Somali law, he would be shot post-haste. The elders came to share this news with Cheryl and her team. How do you respond? Joy? <laughs> Relief? Anger? Well, Cheryl and her team saw it as a time to act. They asked if they could talk with this young killer. Permission was grudgingly given. With the city elders present, present, all Muslim men, Cheryl was granted a few moments, and she was still shaking and by these very recent events and recognized the wrong that had been done as she sat with this young man, and she told him that she had no power whatsoever, of course, to change Somali justice. It seemed it was clear what was about to happen to him. But she wanted him to know that there were two criminals on either side of Jesus, Isa, the Messiah, from the Quran, and that if Jesus offered them hope in their guilt, then there was hope available for him too. And she left and assumed he'd been executed. The next day, the elders announced a rare exception. Execution had been changed to expulsion from the community and a blood guilt fine imposed upon his family. Justice is harsh in Somalia even when it's merciful. But a courageous act when Kairos met Cheryl at the intersection of gifting and heartbreak and opportunity and responsibility witnessed to the power of Jesus Christ to transform hatred and chaos. There is a time to act. The joy of Christmas is the result of people acting in response to God's invitation, right? If Mary doesn't act, if Joseph doesn't act, if prophets over centuries don't act, how will joy come to the world if God doesn't act and if people don't act when God says, now? Scripture is essentially the account of people who responded with active obedience and sometimes not responding with active obedience when God interrupted their lives. Without active response to the leading of the Holy Spirit, there is no living out of God's joy in this world. God's waiting room prepares us for action. But sometimes we fall asleep, and when the time comes, we're deaf to the alarm. And we turn our eyes from the clear signs of the times and snooze back to our distractions and our amusements. And I can think of plenty of times in my life where that has been true. God leads us to the place where Kairos, his alarm clock, intersects with giftings and heart stirrings and opportunity and responsibility, and we press snooze. You feel that in you? We've all done it. Now, most of us in this room, I'm just guessing, won't have a Somali shooting or a human trafficking ring moment where we need to decide to act. But we all have moments in time where we need to get off the blessed couch. 
set aside what we want to do for what we need to do and act in obedience to the heart of God for the sake of his reign and his glory. Don't feel alone. This inability to act when God says now is a human norm. We all do this. And we only grow out of it as we increasingly trust the leading of the Holy Spirit. It seems to me that those of us prone to respond rashly or spontaneously, and we're the ones that those impulse goods at the grocery store line up are for, right? Yeah, like the rash and spontaneous ones among us. I must have that. I never thought of it till now. I must have it. Right? Those of us who are more wired that way are often led by God into the school of waiting. Because we need our faith matured by patience and the laying down of control. And then there's those of us who are more cautious by nature. And we're often given opportunities to take what seems to be illogical and irrational steps of faith. (laughs) Because we need our faith matured by risk and the letting go of control. In both cases, the time to act requires, are you ready for it? A death to self. A surrender of the will to the will and the timing of God. Let's just take a straw poll. Who among us in this room are the get her done kind of people? We're the rash, spontaneous ones. Come on. Like, okay, we all know that. Do you see how quickly a bunch of those hands are? Oh, yeah. Get her done, right? How many of us are more on the other side? Who are the cautious ones? Now watch how slow the hands go up. Uh, I guess, right? There's good news for us all. We're both dangerous to this world if we don't lay down our rights and learn to truly live out God's love. Were you inspired by Velodia and Cheryl? The same Spirit of God at work in them is at work in you. The same Spirit that hovered over the primal creation, the same Spirit that overshadowed Mary, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and in the local body of Christ and invites us into God's activity in the world. This is good news. The life of discipleship, the invitation to repent of sin, life on your own terms, and follow Jesus as Lord is a rousing call to purpose and meaning, to participation in the transformation of the world by the goodness of God. There is a time to wait, and it is necessary. Else the glory of God is cheapened by our pride and our need for attention and affirmation, not to mention our poor lack of timing. But then there is also a time to act. And this too is necessary because otherwise the glory of God is hidden. And guess what it gets hidden behind sometimes? It gets hidden behind our Bible studies. Even our worship gatherings. Our belief that we're not good enough to do anything for God. That someone else must do it. God breaks into history. That's the joy of Christmas. Eternity is pulled into time. Heaven and earth kiss. But this is no hallmark moment. 
When God says time to act, God's people, you and I, deepened by prayer, scripture, and faith, that is enlivened by a corporate discernment of the leading of the Spirit. We step into the intersection where kairos meets gifting and heart-stirring and opportunity and responsibility. You know, there's a book in the Bible that doesn't even mention the name of God. Did you know that? There is a book in the Bible that does not even mention God by name. The Old Testament book of Esther. In the 5th century before Jesus' birth, uh, the Jews came, were, became the captives of the Babylonian Empire. A century later, so in the 4th century before Jesus was born, control of their fates shifted to the Persian Empire, because politics is always changing. King Ahasuerus, also known as Xerxes I, and his queen Vashti ruled those days. Now, Ahasuerus threw a big party with no last call allowed until he said so. You can find this in Esther chapter 1. So take your scriptures. You're not going to find it on the screen this morning. Sorry. <laughs> Esther chapter 1. So in verse 8, you'll see that there's this no last call party going on. And the men are skunk drunk. And Queen Vashti holds her own women's feast, presumably to maintain her sanity. And on the seventh day of the great binge, the king demanded that the queen appear to reveal her trophy beauty for all to see. She courageously refuses. And drunk kings have rejection issues. And Azurus rages. And then comes this in verse 13. Since it was customary for the king to consult experts in matters of law and justice, he spoke to the wise men who understood the times. Now, what times do these guys know? Well, they know the times of Persia. They know what is suitable for an earthly kingdom, the world that they can control. Clearly, this was time to act. And they gather their collective inebriated wisdom and they determine that since the command of the king could not be ignored, the act of Vashti needed a stern response or else the women throughout Persia would feel compelled to disrespect their men. Now this is an attempt to stomp out the first Me Too movement. <laughs> Maybe not the first. And we are presumably, my friends, not in the last. The short story is this. Vashti is banished from the throne and a new queen is needed. So the search stretches throughout the entire Persian Empire. At the time, the Persian Empire was the largest empire the world had ever known. 5.5 million square kilometers stretching from Greece and Egypt through Crimea and all the way into western India. It was a massive territory. And so the chances of finding a suitable queen, pretty good. Right? The chances of being the queen chosen, pretty small. Among the finalists of this Persian queen reality show was an orphan Jew named Hadassah, who would come to be known as Esther. Now, she was raised by her cousin Mordecai, a public servant in the capital city of Susa. 
Now, Mordecai was a righteous man, a man of courage, patient perseverance. He's faithfully serving the welfare of the empire, of those, of those who captured his own people and destroyed his homeland in keeping with the prophetic word of Jeremiah 29. That's for homework reading for you. Jeremiah 29, the prophet's letter to the exiles. Mordecai's living that call faithfully. And so imagine his thoughts when Esther, who he raised as his own daughter, gains the favor of the king's search party. She's now lost to the king's palace from where she may never return, whether she's chosen queen or not. Mordecai had directed her in chapter 2, verse 10, if you look ahead a little bit, you'll see that he had directed Esther not to reveal her true identity because it could have spelled her end to be revealed as an outsider. While wonders of wonders, Esther wins the king's favor. Ahasuerus places the crown on her and gives a feast in her honor, as well as reduced taxes, a sign of a clear miracle from the heavens. <laughs> when will that ever happen? So Esther is now royalty, but still not disclosing, disclosing her true identity. And as time passes, Mordecai, who remember, who remember is working for the government, uncovered a plot to kill the king, which he relayed to the royal court through Esther. And kings like to discover these things. And so Mordecai and Esther had acted in a time to do good to their pagan king. And the men were caught, and like that initial plan in Somalia, they were quickly executed. Mordecai's good deed and name were recorded in the king's archives in chapter 2, verses 19 to 23. But you know what? Kings get busy, right? Kings get busy, or they get busy partying, in Ahasuerus' case. And Mordecai's act was soon lost in the new news cycle. A note in the royal notebook of history seems to be the only thanks that he receives. Ahasuerus promotes, at the beginning of chapter 3, a scoundrel named Haman as his second in command. So turn there, chapter 3, verse 2. All the royal officials and the king at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Now why doesn't Mordecai bow? Because despite living under Gentile laws and rules, Mordecai stays true to his faith, and Jews bow to no human. There is only one worthy of worship. Proud and easily offended, and isn't this how we often all handle offense, right? So easily offended, Haman declares open warfare, verse 8. And then Haman said to King Xerxes, there is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. Haman convinces the king to commit genocide. Letters fly across the vast empire. Vengeful proclamation is made on street corners and Instagram. And tellingly, in verse 15 of chapter 3, the king and Haman sit down to drink. 
but the city of Susa is thrown into confusion. Now here's what's fascinating. Mordecai's response is a public lament and repentance. Chapter 4, verses 1 and one to 3. He dons sackcloth and ashes and sits boldly at the king's gate, a sign of Hebrew humility before God. His first response, this is fascinating to me, his first response is not governmental protest, but a searching of his own heart before God. He initiates faith-activated waiting. You see that? He initiates faith-activated waiting. Across the empire as well, Jews turn to weep, fast, and lament. Imagine what this would have been like. What do you do in the waiting? What do you do? We need to faith-activate our waiting, to prepare our hearts to meet God, for the activity of God, to discern what God and our own hearts requires and will need. And keep in mind, this is the only book in all the scripture that doesn't mention God. The great story of waiting and God's intervention is entirely told without mentioning God. It's the newsreel. This is the newsreel for the confusing, uncertain times when we, of, of our lives. <coughs> God, where are you? God, why are you absent? Anyone up there? The Bible honors the agony of discerning our times when hope seems ravaged and God seems absent. When all we can do is wait and cry. When we've done all we can and yet still feel abandoned like an orphan. And yet, and yet, and yet, and yet, eternity does not sleep. The Holy One is not uninformed. Kairos is coming. The intersection of gifts and heart stirring and opportunity and responsibility. Remember that Mordecai instructed Esther not to reveal her Jewish identity. But now, Passing the murderous decree through the back door channels, he urges Esther to beg the king's favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. Verse 8, chapter 4. On behalf of her people, your people. Come out of hiding, Esther. Now is the time. Esther hesitates. Vashti had not come when the king commanded that didn't end so well, did it? Now Esther risks the opposite, showing up as queen uninvited. And such presumption meant death, unless the king held out his scepter, and it had been a month since Esther had been called, and there was no indication another call was coming. And so Esther faces the same dilemma that we all face at those great intersections of our lives. Self-preservation versus self-sacrifice. 
Succumb to fear or rise with courage. Play it safe or take the risk. Close our ears and eyes or engage with all our faculties. My will or yours be done. And then comes that timeless challenge of cousin to queen. Verse 12 of chapter 4. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, her hesitation, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. A sentence that still lives in our culture, doesn't it? Note again Mordecai's faith in light of the apparent absence of God. Did you catch it? Note his faith in light of the apparent absence of God. He is sure deliverance will come from someplace. Did you catch that? Deliverance will arise from somewhere. God will step from the shadows. Mordecai shines confident light into the darkness. His challenge to Esther is clear. Her choice is between participating in God's great work or missing the moment. Protect yourself, hide your head in the crown, and you will miss the true king. And oh, how often we have missed the king because of fear, shame, stubbornness, obtuseness, comfort, or outright disobedience. We've missed the moment, and we've missed the king. We shrink from our God-given callings and restored dignity as the children of the king of kings. And this time has come. Step into the action of heaven for such a time as this. God may seem absent, but a string of unbelievable coincidences reveals something else is afoot. The evil one is actively set to destroy. But Esther, it seems you have come to a place, a position, a moment in history for such a time as this. It's time to act. Now, reading from the story from the outside, it seems so obvious, right? But you and I know that in those moments of time, it's not quite as obvious, is it? It's not quite so obvious what the right thing is to do. We rarely discover the insight or courage on our own. We need a community. We need a union of opposites, a fellowship of saints. We need people who see what we haven't, who describe what we haven't yet pieced together, who call us from our uncertainty into holy courage, who reveal we are at the intersection of Kairos, where giftings and heart stirrings and opportunity and responsibility converge, who help us see the unseen hand, who call our bluff and expose our fear-based living, who help us shovel the BS and call us to start living like there's an eternity. A bigger story breaking into the time that we have as a gift and a responsibility. Look at verse 15. And then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. 
Do not eat or drink for three days or night, night or day, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, so be it. Again, do you notice the response is fasting? Sacrificing something to discern the greater will. The action of humility that leads to the acts of faith and courage. Faith activated waiting leads to humility sourced action. Then I will go to the king. And if I perish, I perish. Waiting is over. It's time to act. The goal is no longer self-preservation, but the right act at the right time for the right reason, regardless of the cost or whether God miraculously shows up or not. Simply because at the Kairos intersection of giftings, heart stirrings, opportunity and responsibility, it is just right to act. Oh, that we were a people of this kind of conviction in the big and little things of life. No. Oh, that we, regardless of our age, lived acts of humility in the waiting so that the great acts of faith and courage would surprise us and this world yet again. Of course, there's more to this story of Esther. We've only gotten to chapter four. This book that bears her name. But through her risk, God intervened. The Jews were saved, and this deliverance is still celebrated in the Jewish calendar as the Feast of Purim. Now, you're not Esther, or you're not Cheryl, and you're not Volodia. You are you, and we are us. And the world is still broken, but God is still God. And he is still active. And there is injustice and sorrow and grief and there is deception and there is pain and there are people lost and aimless like sheep without a shepherd and there are gardens that need tending and there are lonely that need friending and there are sick that need healing and there are children that need parents and there are spouses needing their partner to get with it and there are causes that need money and there are so many prayers that need praying and there are employees that need good bosses and there are bosses that need some good employees and there are situations impossibly overwhelming and beyond human capacity to solve and they often are unless there are people made in the image of God who wake up and die to their crowns and lay down their rights and walk by faith and not by sight and consider all that God has done for us in the world in Jesus Christ. The eternal position as sons and daughters of God that we have not earned. Start living from that unshakable hope. Listen to the Spirit of God. Depend on the strength of the discerning community. Awake to the great hope that is for such a time as this. And act. Let's pray.
Our God and Heavenly Father, thank you that at just the right time, you sent your son. Thank you that you are a God of action. You're not a God who just gives us ideas or sets down rules. You are a God of loving action and you break into history and into the world. You break into moments on street corners in Somalia, in prostitution bars in Prague. You break into the stories that are being written in our homes right now, in this city, in this town, in our lives. And God, there are places for each one of us where what stirs our hearts, what matches our gifting, what has come to the opportunity in front of us, and which is matched by our responsibility that's requiring us to act. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit and help us to be faithful to your purposes, to your righteousness, to your justice, to your goodness, to your person, to your shalom. Make us people of action, sourced in humility. Forgive us, O God, when we've let those moments go by. You're not a God who beats us up. There's grace and mercy and there's new opportunities and you will lead us into some this week. Father, no matter how big or how small that opportunity is, when you prompt us by your spirit, give us also the power to act. Would you stand as we sing?